0: My uh, my son he came downstairs in uh, the outfit I picked out for him for church, and my wife thought I didn't do a good job this morning. I just want to throw that out there. She thought I didn't do a good job. So with greater confidence in his fashion ability than in my fashion ability, she looked at him and said, "Go put on some better church clothes." To which I've never been more proud as a father. He comes down the stairs. He went up the stairs with a shirt that had two sleeves on it. He came down the stairs with a shirt that had no sleeves on it. And I, I thought to myself, what a wonderful world. Anyway, um, no, it was, it, was, it was just great. So I, I, I don't know. If you see Luke, let him know that he did great, because he will not be picking out his church clothes, I guarantee you, nor will I for the next few weeks and months. Hey, we are in a summer series. We know that. Uh, There are a lot of people that are in and out over the summer, and we've been seeing God give us a lot of momentum. We studied the book of Ruth for much of the spring. Uh, It's a beautiful little love story where God providentially does an incredible work uh, through a lady named Ruth and um, her mother-in-law named Naomi, and uh, we get this incredible redemptive story. We're going into the book of Acts this fall, and we're looking at what it means to be an uncommon community that find their unity and identity in Jesus Christ and his gospel. And we're looking forward to getting into that. In just a few weeks, we're going to jump into the Lord's Prayer to end summer. Uh, But we've been bouncing around uh, looking at this thing that we call momentum killers. Momentum killers to our relationship with God and momentum killers to our community as a gathering of believers. Satan is a counterpuncher. God speaks, Satan then counter punches against it. God said you'll not eat of this tree. Satan then suggests that he didn't say to not eat of this tree. You see God speaking truth and then the enemy coming behind trying to deceive and get people to do what God didn't say or said they should not do or accept it as truth whenever God said it was a lie. And so my concern for us as a faith family is seeing all the growth and the momentum that God has given us in the first part of this year, we would see a counterpunch come with something subtle not blatantly in our minds initially sinful, that could slow or kill the momentum in your relationship with God or begin to slow or kill the momentum in our relationship with each other. You have a great unity as a church that builds an attractive community that people want to be a part of. Then what ends up happening is subtle, sneaky sins slide into the camp and begin to divide us to where we no longer trust, love, and care or are gracious and compassionate towards each other. So this is the last week of this series. We looked at the momentum killer of greed, and everyone responded by getting accountability partners to hold them accountable to not being greedy. I've called this the silent sermon series. (laughs) There's sermons we've preached where you've been silent. I don't know if it's the conviction of God or the uh, boredom with which my delivery has brought that silence, but... Uh, I've, I've noticed the amen number is lower, and the ouch number's been higher. I, I don't know what, what's going on with it. We talked about the sin of greed. We talked about dishonor, because whenever you dishonor people, you miss out on the unique work of God at work through them that's meant to build you up and encourage you, and whenever you treat people that are uncommon as common, you dishonor them by dismissing the unique work that God is doing through them so that you will become a more mature follower of Jesus. Uh, that one got about the same amount of amens. We, had, we even gave you moon pots on that day. Like, I don't know what else we could have done. We gave you sugar. We gave you soda. And we talked about dishonor, and yep, that's about what happened. Uh, and we, we talked about half-heartedness and being lukewarm and how you can be half-committed to the work of the Lord in your life. So you give some of your week to God or some of your day to God, but not all of your day to God. Someone asked me the other day, we just built a new house. It's pretty. I love it. I'm excited. We're slowly moving in. I laid 3,000 square feet of sod with some friends that I owe a lot of thank yous and gift cards, and I appreciate yous too. And, and, and they looked at me and they said, man, this is such a nice house. I'm so glad you own it, and I know that for some of you this is just a play on words, but I mean it. I don't own the house. God blessed us with that house. There could come a time where, it come a time where God tells us to get rid of the house, or to give the house away, or to sell the house, and we will do it in obedience to God. Uh, when we moved out here, we gave away around 40% of our stuff when we were moving back from California. Why am I telling that? Because it wasn't my stuff. I'm a steward and not an owner. And whenever you realize that we own nothing, we steward everything, and all of it's meant to give glory to God, it makes life a whole lot easier. But in America, we like to hold on to everything as if we own all of it. And we give God a percentage of it. And I see no foundation for that idea anywhere in the New Testament. If you look at what happens in the book of Acts, you have an uncontrollable move of God that was wild people were coming in droves lives were being changed people were being healed power was present and palpable people left not going well maybe god's at that church no they they knew they had met with god whenever they left the community of believers they wanted him they, they had this desire, this desperation for them that wouldn't allow indifference to sneak in. And, and my goal is that none of us would be able to be lukewarm in the presence of God. That you would not be able to be like half hearted, like halfway committed. Like this, like there's there's plenty of places that you can hide and be half hearted in your devotion. This ain't the place. Like I walk pews and run around here just, just looking for, for someone I can grab to encourage. Looking for someone that we can equip for ministry. Yesterday, We had over 40 people in our community serving in different places. I'm so proud of what God's begun to do. We've partnered with a church called The Church at Piedmont Mill. They're launching in October. We had around 28 people out serving the church at Piedmont Mill. Uh, This is Pastor Jason Reed. You can begin praying for him and his family. They're going to introduce themselves to you later this year, but we went out and tore it down to the studs and uh, threw mulch and uh, pulled out a baptistry. Uh, There's Sergio ripping out a wall in the name of the Lord. They pulled out that old baptistry so they could get more people in because they already have too many people to fit the space so they are trying to figure out how to make that portable kelsey i said in first service you just picked that pitchfork up for the picture but you you worked hard you worked hard too it wasn't just there look at joe he's impressed well, that's that's her, that's her husband he's like well shazam she does do yard work i uh, sorry sorry my bad uh, we had another team that night that went and served a, um, we have, uh, there's a, a house, I'm forgetting the name of it, help me out, Hope House, that has so many foster students. Some of them went on to summer camp with them, with us. Two of them gave their lives to Jesus at summer camp. Yeah. Um, I'll just be honest, we take advocating, and the call from the Bible to advocate for the orphans serious. And uh, the motherless and the single mom, like, we, we want to champion and get behind with the gospel and the good news that none of you are fatherless, that you have a father that loves you more immensely than any earthly father can love you. And they went and were the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm so proud of what God is allowing us to join in with. And we're just going to work with Dad. I mean, that's all we're really doing, but we're, we're having a blast doing it. And so I'm just just grateful for what God's doing in our faith family right now, and uh, would love to invite, prod, and encourage you to jump in with us. So as we land the plane, I want to give a warning. I want to jump into a hard sermon to teach. We're going to examine a lot of scripture that gives us a construct for what this is. It is subtle, just like greed. Most of us don't think that we're doing it when we're actually doing it. Uh, And it's something that if we're not careful, will not only divide us and kill the momentum in our relationship with God, but it definitely will divide and kill the relationships that God has put around us for our growth. And that is this subtle sin called gossip, which is a national pastime in church. It's not the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit from a different spirit, and it ain't holy. And for a lot of us, we have gone to churches and been a part of communicating to a voice that has given deception and echoed and been an echo chamber of the enemy instead of an echo chamber of life. And we've used what can give life and can, what can be sought to give death and to take what's been blood-bought and paid for, the mistakes and sins of others, And use it as a way to remind people of their imperfections, to make them doubt the blood of Jesus and its sufficiency to cover us in our weakest and most vulnerable of moments. And if we're not careful, gossip can kill our momentum as a community. I've watched it rip churches apart. I've watched people that love the Lord that haven't spoken for 10 plus years because of one whisper in the back of a church that led to a quiet Cold War. I've seen it impact my own family who's been in ministry for 30 plus years, when they've gone through difficult seasons and people assume the worst instead of confronting them and bringing up real questions that could have given clarity to the truth. But for a lot of us, gossip is something that we don't think is a serious deal. We dismiss its deadliness. We contribute to it. I would submit to you that just about every single one of us in here have been the gossiper and we've been the gossiped. At times I've been the person that that has spread misinformation, partial information, half-truths, which are whole lies. And at times I've been the person that's been on the end of that half-truth that's been spoken. So I want to take some time to define gossip. I want to talk about its form so that you can understand the deadliness and the real deadly line we walk in a lot of our talk and the way that we can get into the place of gossip. I want to talk about the roots of gossip and then I want to give you the remedy that the gospel calls us to in our speech Instead of gossip. So let me give you a definition. If you are wondering if it's gossip or not, you should ask yourself, is the person I'm talking to able to help, love, or change the person I'm talking about? Say it one more time. Is the person I'm talking to about this other person able to help, love, or change the person I'm talking about? If the answer is no, then it probably is gossip. Because all we're doing is getting the enjoyment of a conversation, or maybe even our significance in our identity of, our, our, isn't it good that we're not them? <laughs> off of their fall, off of their failure, off of their weak moment. And, and there's a story in the Bible where a guy stood in the back of a church saying, thank God I'm not like them this poor sinner on the altar crying out to God, knowing I'm not worthy to be in the presence of God, this rich man in the back thinking, I deserve to be here, I'm valuable, and they need me here. And in that story, it doesn't go well for the guy who has the posture of thinking that he should be standing in the presence of God and not dealing in the presence of God. you got to be careful, because you could begin to compare yourself to people and gossip about them in a way that gives you a a sense of significance, and what it is really doing is it's giving you a posture That's improper before the presence of God because all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. All of us have fallen, some publicly, some privately, all with the need of the blood of Jesus to forgive us for what we've done, deliver us from the person that we've been, to make us by the Holy Spirit into what we have not yet to be, and that is a new creation in Christ Jesus. A guy named Matthew Mitchell wrote a book on gossip It's called winning the war of the wagging or wa- yeah wagging tongue I always want to say waging it's wagging tongue Matthew Mitchell winning the war of the wa- of, of the wagging tongue he defines gossip this way gossip is telling a story that communicates bad news about another person behind that person's back it's bad news and I'm sharing everyone else's I'm sharing that individual's bad news with everyone else but that person so here's here's why this is so demonic in the church we have been called to be a community that is blood-bought and centered on the resurrection and the ongoing work of jesus that means when todd struggles and suffers i struggle and suffer with him we don't like this too much in the american church right when Todd succeeds i celebrate and multiply the joy of that success with him now let me let me just bring you into reality here there's one church period and when the global church is persecuted the whole church is persecuted when they suffer we suffer we don't dismiss other brothers and sisters in other parts of the world's pain as being their pain and their plight in that difficult part of the world while we sit in comfort in the lap of luxury back here. No, no. The idea is that we would be a body that would be looking to the horizon for the second coming of Christ. And as we're awaiting his return, we're reminding each other of the good news of the gospel daily, moment by moment, weekly, constantly re-gospeling. Hey, it's really true. You are forgiven, not by your works. You are saved, not by what you've done or what you will do, but by the faithful work of Jesus. You have been received in grace and loved in grace, not contractually, but covenantally, which means he will not stop loving you. He will not let go of you. And you've gone far this week, but you've not gone too far for the reach of his grace. You need to be reminded that the gospel is sufficient and good, and it's still True, so we remind each other of that as we look to the rise and the way Him to come. We divide the burdens of life. We speak life to each other. We encourage each other. We build one another up. There's 59 one another's in the Bible that we're called to do, bearing one another's burdens, being one of them in Galatians. But when gossip comes in and you get your sense of identity out of it, you begin to separate yourself instead of carry the load. So then instead of... Dividing the burden, you multiply the burden with gossip. Instead of multiplying the joy, you divide it with what? Gossip. Because their win's not your win. Their their victory's not a victory that you can share in. Does this make sense? So it divides us. So instead of trust and in our moments of weakness, us being vulnerable, we cover up and we hide. When in reality, we're meant here to be... Transparent and honest. There's no makeup before God. There's no covering up the blemishes before God. We come just as we are week in and week out. And some weeks it looks good. And some weeks your kid doesn't have sleeves on his shirt. Okay? Some weeks you come in ready to worship. And some weeks you need to be in the presence of others worshiping because you just can't get it out. Does this make sense? But gossip kills this kind of community and it's subtle it has three forms that i see in scripture i want to bring them up to you and let you see them there's the first form is this rumor starter form veggie tales wrote about the rumor weed some of you have heard it. it's bad information that spreads. It's easier to spread a lie than it is to spread the truth. Have you ever found that out? You ever discovered that? Exodus chapter 21, as or 23, verse 1 warns the people of God that have been brought out of their slavery and bondage about this new way of living. He says, You must not pass along false rumors. Half truths, spun truths, elevating certain details, minimizing other details. That's a rumor. I want you to see these bullet points, but I don't want you to see these bullet points, which would actually make this a lot different if you were to see it in its true form. So you must not pass along false rumors. You must not cooperate with evil people by lying on the witness stand. You see, rumors are half-truths, potential truths, false information, or lies. Once heard in uh, in one person's ears, rumors grow out of control. One whispers into one ear, into another ear, and usually the way the telephone game goes is by the time it gets into the third or fourth ear, it's already got extra details added into it. I went through uh, probably the the worst season of my life uh, last year. Uh, We came back for family vacation, felt like the Lord was leading us away from a ministry we loved after 12 plus years of serving in it. Didn't know what the next step looked like, but we're praying through it. Got a very aggressive version of COVID on the airplane going back. Went into a meeting not knowing I had COVID. Felt like I needed to step a down from step down for ministry because I was physically just exhausted. Had that conversation with the elders. It was difficult. It was tough. Didn't know what the transition was going to look like. Passed out from COVID for 15 days, lost 24 pounds, thought I was going to die, wanted to at some points, came to, and there were 30 versions of what had happened. It was insane. There was no sin, there was a move of God in my life. But people presume sin. Sin in my life, sin in the leaders' lives that were a part of communicating the transition while I was out of it. And, and we had to chase down and constantly fight for unity. I mean, it, it was a difficult time. Painful. People I trusted and loved, I felt like there was a wedge being driven in between them because of the rumor we'd have gotten out of control. People we love, my wife and I, I mean, like, we're like, we just can't talk to them right now. There's no confidence there. It was a terrible time where we needed help, we needed friends, we needed community, but we were alone, all because this subtle sin of rumor started in a season of sickness and transition. How many of you have seen the pain of rumors started, half-truths, elevated bullet points, minimizing others in your life or in others' lives that ruined relationships? Social media is the breeding ground for a lot of this, where half and potential part truths get posted. And then what's interesting is if you do get something out that may be truth, sometimes that gets labeled with a warning label over the top of it. And sometimes when you speak something that uh, is a half truth, that's broadcast because it fits the bullet point agenda, whatever social media site you're on. And so we're now in a battle for truth, and now we're looking to leaders going, what's the real story, and you're not, if you're not figuring out yet, getting The real story because you get different bullet points with the minimization of other bullet points because all they're trying to do is spread their propaganda, which is a big word for rumor, that divides you and keeps you in the specific side that they want you in. This is not to be present in the kingdom of God or the people of God in the house of God. We are not to be rumor spreaders, rumor starters, people that take half information or partial information and throw it out there. We are to be something different. Number two, before I get ahead of myself, we're not to be fault yellers. you got rumor starters, you got fault yellers. This is warned against. It's trust dividing. It's what fault yellers do. It's trust dividing. It's what happens in Proverbs chapter 17 verse 9. It says, love prospers when a fault is forgiven. The word forgive in the New Testament in Greek means to release and let go. It's a statement that says you have evidence in your hand that a wrong has been done by someone else to you. But instead of holding on to it, you're choosing to release and let go of it. It's you saying, it's not that it's not wrong, it's that since I have been vertically forgiven by Jesus to such a great extent, since he had every reason to close his hands on my wrongs and judge me condemned in it, but he has chosen in his grace to sacrificially, at a high cost, forgive me, I now, in that vertical example, in these horizontal relationships, choose to take what is done against me and release and let go of it. That means it's forgiven and it's forgotten. I'm not going to hold it over you vindictively and remind you of it whenever I'm insecure in my own moments of insecurity. But fault yellers never let it go. They say the word's forgiven, but then in the presence of a crowd where they can gain affluence by the story, they bring up your worst moment. They tell your worst hits stories. I've seen this in families. I've seen this in communities where what ends up happening is you gather together and you're sitting around the table and you bring up your parents' worst fails. And those only seem to be the stories you share. You never share the moments where they sat by your bed while you were sick and puking and everyone else was running away. You never share the stories of how they prayed over you day in and day out. You share the story of how they gassed at one time in the minivan hoping it would blow up. <laughs> Worst moments that get shared instead of you speaking life to them in their best moments and viewing them through grace. See, a lot of us are fault yellers. We're fault yellers. We only remember the worst. We have a group of people that we treat with little grace to no grace. Look at what it says. But dwelling on it, that past incident, separates close friends. Separates close friends. Fault yelling is when you share a true story that shames or otherwise paints a person in the worst possible light. There's no gospel, there's no grace, there's no genuine love for that person. Because your significance is off of the failure of that person. You get your worth and your kicks out of their worst moments. If we're honest, there are some people that, do, that we never want to give the benefit of grace to. We always want to think the worst and subtly enjoy their worst moments. This is the plight of humanity. It's enemies that never acknowledge their sin against you. And in the battle to forgive, you just become bitter. So every time their name comes up, bad stories and bad memories come up with it. Now, I want to be tactful and direct here. There is a time where some people in this world will choose to act in an evil way, in an unrepentant, destructive way. Boundaries need to be put in around these people. You desire reconciliation, you extend forgiveness as far as it's on your end to extend that forgiveness. But reconciliation is not a possibility because of the destructive nature of the path that they are on, and they're not willing to relent, repent, and turn. See, every time we're confronted in our sin, we either repent or we run. Right now, as you hear the Word of God confronting you about perhaps the habit of gossip in your life, you will repent or you'll run. You'll repent and turn to God and go, I need you because your grace is sufficient for me in this sin. Or you'll run and go, that's not me, it must be them. It's not as bad as that person, and by comparison you eliminate yourself from being the person that's being convicted of the sin because there's other people of the Spirit to start with first other than you. How unique of you to know where the Spirit should be convicting and not convicting, and who he should be convicting and not convicting. We're so glad you're here, Jesus. If someone wrongs you, there is a prescription for how you go about dealing with that wrong. It's not gossip. It's not to yell the fault out from the rooftop. No, no, no. It comes in this book called Matthew in chapter 18. It deals with the wrongs done by another believer to another believer. And when someone wrongs you in the house of faith, you don't yell it on a megaphone in a prayer meeting. Instead, according to Matthew 18, you go in person to them and you communicate the wrong that you've experienced. It's where you own what you feel. That's assertiveness. What you did hurt me. What you said, I felt misrepresented me. I trusted you as a confidant, as a friend, as an accountability, and you took that information and weaponized it against me. I'm angry. I feel betrayed. There is distrust in a wedge between us because of what you've done. You have hurt me. It's direct, it's not indirect. Sometimes, whenever you confront a brother or sister with that kind of confrontation, in love, understanding that you are a person that needs grace too, you gain a brother. They, in hearing what they've done, recognize the wrong and they say, I am sorry. I have failed you. I have hurt you. I apologize for what I've done. Now, here's what keeps a lot of us from it too many of you want to rehearse conversations before you have them stop it stop playing out how this is supposed it's not a hallmark movie And, and whatever version of it that you got between your ears is not going to be the reality of how it's going to happen when it happens in person so here's my rule of thumb if i'm beating you up in between my ears if i'm fighting you in between my i'm just going to call you Because I'd rather call you than fight with you in an imaginary way and you not even know it. We we still may be fighting whenever I hang the phone up with you. But we're at least going to have Matthew 18, biblical face-to-face conversation around the conflict that's causing me to feel this sense of betrayal or feel this sense of sin against me. We're going to try and hash it out. So you go to the person and if they repent, you gain a brother. If they don't. You find someone that loves Jesus and loves the church and loves the two of you in that order. You don't get a mob. You don't go get your sisterhood that you've already read in on the story, and you're like, oh, we're going to go get them. That's, that's not Matthew 18. Some of y'all are like, I practice Matthew 18. I said, you wrong me. They didn't say, I'm sorry. I went and got my people, and they stood behind me with threatening arms and looks and weapons like, I'm from Greer, and I'll, I'll show it <laughs> if you don't repeat. Like, no, 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 no. The idea of Matthew 18 is I, I get people that love Jesus, love the church, and love us. They sit down with us, and they help us work through what's happened. Because here's, here's a crazy thought. Not in every circumstance. And for some of you, like there's toxic, evil people in this world. They exist. You've got to put boundaries. By the grace of God, you forgive them. By the work of God, there's the possibility in the future that there could be reconciliation with them. But you put boundaries in place because there's harm being done by them. But for many people... The wrong you feel has come from a wrong that you've done that you don't even know. And they may be responding to a misinterpretation of something they felt that was a wrong you did. Something that threatened them. Something that hurt them. And when you get people around you, you're able to work through it and go, well, I started that and said that and I shouldn't have, but it was because this happened and it hurt me. And then you're able to say, I'm so sorry. And then they're able to say, I know this is a utopian view, I'm sorry too. And then you hear, and friends are friends forever. I'm just kidding. It doesn't happen that way. But my point is, you you deal with it. If it doesn't happen, the text says, you're to treat them as a what? A non-believer, okay, in Matthew 18. So we're still not gossiping about them. What do you do and how do you treat a non-believer? That's not a statement of shunning. That's a statement of we are witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ to them as if they've never heard it and experienced it. So we start the cycle over and we begin to communicate the gospel to them so that they understand they don't have to walk in the darkness and the lies anymore. Never do you get to a point where it's your job to then go and say, everybody, if you saw what happened at Sherby's last week, oh, I heard about Sherby's and some of y'all know more about it than you should. Five people, y'all ain't wanting to laugh in church. Okay, but my, my point if you knew what they did there. If you would have seen them at Chili's on a Tuesday. Like, if you, and, and you just want to tell everyone there, but that, that is not helpful. It's not bringing the kingdom of God in the relationship. So don't be the fault yeller because that's the root of gossip. Number two. Number three, number three, before I get in trouble, is the suspicion planter. Suspicion planter. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. It says this. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Suggestions. I, I'm not trying to say nothing I, I don't and it, I, I'm not God so I don't judge but I heard there's some character issues there just just check their heart check their heart. all right, Satan we're so glad you showed up. I know that they say they're saved but I heard back in the day that it was pretty crazy so I would I'd be cautious there. All right, Satan. Glad you're here to speak about the current condition of identity and where this person is at and their growth and transformation into becoming a new work in Jesus. I'm glad, I'm glad that you've updated us with your suspicion on who you think they are or are not, on what they've become or what they've not become. Here's what I want you to understand if you're around a suspicion planter, they plant seeds of strife, they bring gossip that separates the best of friends. It's likely for a few reasons, but here's what you can bank on. If they gossip about others to you, they likely gossip to others about you. This group, the suspicion planning group, that's very deadly what they do. You see, some want to drive a wedge of distrust in meaningful relationships that you have because they want to have meaningful relationships with all of you individually, but none of you to have strong relationships with each other without them. So they come into a room where there's three friends that are close, and they want a relationship with all three, and they want all three to be dependent on them because they need significance in their life. So they plant (laughs) seeds of dissension and gossip that begin to cause the three to distrust each other. Now the way the three are starting to distrust each other is they're in confidence sharing things with the one friend that's coming to the room that's then implanting it into the other's ears. Here's what I want you to be cautious of. There is a tension between people calling out character flaws of someone you are close in close relationship in and love, and someone who is envious of the relationships you have with others and desires to drive a wedge between you and them for the positioning of their own relationship with you. I'll say that one more time. There is a tension between people calling out character flaws of someone you are in a close relationship out, out of love, Meaning they're coming to you going, man, I'm concerned because the path they're on is not good. And I think we need to go and talk to them and and express our concern to them because we want God's best for them because we love them. And we want, all right, that's, that's good. Then there's this other form that's like, I'm not trying to go talk to them. I'm just whispering what I think may be happening or may not be happening about them. I have no intention of dealing with the conflict or the fallout that could come from confrontation in love with them, but I just want you to know that this could be happening. That's a seed of distrust that they're trying to sow so that causes caution where there needs to be love, so that causes you to refrain from running to them when you actually need to run directly to them. So the roots of gossip, three things I see biblically, rumor starters, fault yellers, suspicion planners. Now let's step on our toes a little bit. That's a joke. <laughs> There's roots behind how we get to the path of gossip, and let me break them down quickly. Three, a couple of roots. Number one is an unchecked curiosity, and all of us have it. There's a reason Curious George is fun to watch. Don't be him, okay? He always gets in trouble. He always takes it too far. But unchecked curiosity gets us into a lot of trouble. There's, you don't need to know everybody's business. It's, it's not your business. I don't care what the world has taught you about. We need some answers about what they... No, you don't. No, you don't. We need accountability to our leaders. But it's not your job to know everything that Biden did at home, okay? If, he, if the law was broken, we need accountability to hold people accountable to it. That's the tension. But it's not your job to be the person that has every detail down. So tomorrow morning, whenever you go over here to breakfast, you can, like, lambast everybody in leadership because you've got every detail that needs to just come on out you're being a busybody it's not helpful you're being you're unchecked in your curiosity first timothy chapter 5 verse 13 look at what it says i love this text and if they are on the list they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house are they on mission are they making disciples no why not They're too busy paying attention to everyone's worst moments to communicate the God moment where God desires to intersect their life with the gospel of Jesus. So they're gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business. People that meddle don't know they meddle. Or maybe they won't admit it. So here's a dangerous moment. Find someone that loves Jesus in the church and you in that order. And just ask them, am I a meddler? Seriously. Am I meddling? Like, is my interest out of an interest for God's best for them, or is it just out of an interest to watch the car wreck? Am I a meddler? Is my interest because I have a genuine God-given concern for them, or is it just because I want to get some kind of sense of significance off of their failure? Am I a meddler? Am I meddling? Meddling in other people's business and talking about things that they shouldn't. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13 talks about unchecked curiosity as the root of gossip. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Here's, here's why this is so deadly. You need a group of people that you are vulnerable with, that you share your weakest moments with, and you know... They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to pray for you. They're going to call you to holiness and righteousness in Christ Jesus by grace, through faith, and dependency on the Holy Spirit, okay? But what happens is when you get that group of people around you and you begin to share your weakest and most vulnerable moments, if it's the wrong person and gossips in their heart, They then take what was meant to be shared in confidence that should be covered in prayer and conviction and accountability, and they begin to share it with people, and it gets weaponized in the community. So then you hide in your sin sin instead of coming forward in your sin. So you walk in darkness instead of walking in the light. And the idea is that we walk in the light together. So I've got a group of people, and I share not just what I do but what I think. Because before I do it, I often think it. Heard a preacher say, before an affair ever happens, uh, between the sheets, it always happens between the ears first. You think about it before you act on it. And for many of you, you've been thinking on things that if not given accountability and the truth of God's light and God's word and his gospel and a community that would come around you and hold you accountable, these thoughts will turn into actions that will lead you down a path of sin that you don't want to go. So I've got a group of people where I'm like, here's what I thought this week. Because I, if it's already in the point of action, we've already gone way down the trail. I want them to know, I'm thinking this. Now, I don't want you to know what I'm telling them about what I think. You don't need to know. It's not your business. I want to know what preacher, what Pastor Russ is thinking when he's on the stage. I think thoughts like you think. Someone cuts me off in traffic, I think about acting like I'm from Moonville. <laughs> from time to time. I'm tempted to be angry. I, 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 I am angry by the grace of God, a man that qualifies with First Timothy's qualifications, but I am still a man that is capable of being in the flesh and acting like a carnal Christian from time to time. And you are too. And so we attack, our, we attack the thought. And, and whenever we have people that have unchecked curiosity, they take those thoughts and they spread them as rumors in the form of gossip. That's one root of gossip is your curiosity in check. Why do you want to know that information? Why do you need the details? It's because you love them and desire their restoration. And you genuinely, huh, genuinely are going to pray. And I'm not talking like, oh yeah, I'm going to pray. And, and then like you sit down for like 30 seconds one time. You're like, Lord, you better fix it. That's crazy right there. Like, I'm, I'm talking you pray. I'm talking you pray. Like, like you block off hours. And You pray. Don't, don't let your curiosity be masqueraded as a prayer concern when it's not. Uncheck curiosity, number one. Number two, being attention needy. For some of us, we have a salacious need of having the scoop or information that no one else does. This leads us to being quick to spread information that may not be accurate because we need to be seen as significant in the person that has the scoop on everybody else. This is what I would call current mainstream media. Everybody wants a scoop, so we share a story that may or may not be true. And I'm talking about all of it. I don't care if they tell you we, just the truth, no spin. Nope. There's a company and a corporation behind them that pays lots of money for them to communicate and elevate certain details and minimize others. Uh, when I was in California, we went to the Hearst Ranch. William Randolph Hearst, one of the biggest moguls, owns a lot of media and newspaper. His family's really close with the Disney family. They're a big conglomerate and group of people. They control a lot of information. And what you hear in that group comes out that's in their interest. What helps with their stock market? What helps? And, and they need your attention. And you, when you give them your attention because you're attention-needy and you want to get a scoop that they have, details that they have, then you share and promote their information like a puppet. I'm interested in promoting no other information and no other agenda other than the kingdom of God. Some are like, that's too simplistic. Well, just call me a simple kind of man. That's just what I am. Sorry. Number three. Roots of gossip, self-promotion. Still with me? I know. I'm getting there. Self-promotion. Will Durant said this, to speak ill of others is a dishonest way of praising ourselves. One of the reasons we gossip is we need to promote ourselves. And how do we do that? By demeaning others. In football recruiting, it's called negative recruiting. I highlight myself. I negatively recruit you at the other schools that you would want to go to. You don't want to go there. Why? They don't develop this. They're not as good as Self-promotion. Number four, and this is the hardest one, it's the harboring of bitterness. Roots of gossip, harboring bitterness. What does that look like? Well, someone else gets the promotion, and you immediately are overly critical and verbal about it to others. Someone else is in the position you want to be in, so instead of helping them and getting behind them and being good news around them as a representation of the gospel, You do everything you can to make their job harder. You do everything to make their weaknesses and failures bigger. All because secretly you just want their seat. Careful how you get those seats. When you get them through deception and lying, you create this culture of deception and lying. And then you sit in the seat one day maybe. And all you've got around you is a bunch of deceivers and liars that you fed information to. Don't think they're going to be loyal to you when that's the culture you created around them. Harboring bitterness is the root of gossip because past hurts brings up fear of being hurt again, so you assume the worst on the current situation, all because you have not forgiven the past situation. Matthew 12 says this. This is a tough text to look at. I'll try and give my best theological context to it. I tell you this. You must give an account on Judgment Day for every idol. Idol's a word for lazy, careless, carnal, not seasoned in grace, not rooted in the gospel. You will give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. Okay, folks. just want you to imagine that day. And then consider this last week of conversations. You're going to stand before God. And by grace, you will be saved. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Giving an account to the words and the things that you spoke. Man. That's scary. The like what it goes on to say. The words you say will either acquit, or, or acquit you or condemn you. Why? Because believers never gossip, and if you're really a believer, you've never gossiped? No, believers repent. Why? Because believers never misspeak? No, believers repent. Why? Because believers never partake in gossip? No, believers repent. You see, the difference is there's conviction in our life from the Holy Spirit, not from guilt, not from a law, but from the Holy Spirit, that when we misspeak, brings us to the moment of going, hey, Dad blew it. Hey, as your coworker, I wasn't helpful, and I blew it. Hey, as your family member, I took what you gave to me in confidence, and I blew it. You see, the difference is not that you never fail, but it's what you do when you fail. You see, the difference You're going to fail. If you don't know Jesus, then you take that failure and you hide it in shame. But if you know Jesus, you stand in the light and you repent of it knowing that there's grace. So how are your words speaking to the truth of what you are? The band's going to come up. We're going to respond. Here's the solution. It comes in one verse of Ephesians chapter 4. It's one part of this verse. It says this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. What do we do instead of gossip? We will speak the truth. In love, there's the remedy. What's the truth? Sometimes it's saying hard things like, I am hurt. I'm not over it. I want to forgive, but it continues to grab hold of me. Okay? And it's, But it's in love. What does that mean? I know God's grace is sufficient for you even though you've hurt me. I know you're an image bearer and you're valuable because you've been created in the image of God even though what you have done has been vindictive and devaluing of me. See, it's these two things together. It's understanding that there is a truth. It's not like a version or a spun truth. It's called the Bible. It begins in Genesis 1-1 and it ends at the end of this book called Revelation. He's Alpha, Genesis beginning. Omega, Revelation ending. He gave us his revealed, written truth so that we would know it by the Spirit of God. It says that he would come in salvation and write his truth on our hearts. Before it was on tablets we viewed, but he's now written on our hearts by the Spirit. So the Spirit brings to mind the Word of God and the truth of God and invites us to walk in line with that truth. Why do I bring this up? Because as believers we are to walk in this perfect tension of truth and love. Truth and love, truth and love. They're not in contradiction to each other. Some of you are like, I'm truthful, but it just ain't loving. No, that's not the truth. Believers are, and some will say, I'm loving, but I'm just not going to talk about the truth. That's, that's not the mark. The mark is, I'm truthful because I love you. I'm loving because I'm truthful. And this is what we've been called to. So if you have gossiped, repent. If you've been gossiped against, Confront graciously and lovingly and seek reconciliation. If you've tried and it's not worked out the way that you would hope, grab people that love Jesus in the church and go with them. But let's fight for unity. That's my concern. We've seen so much momentum. I would hate for it to be killed because of a whisper. We've seen God do great work in this church. I'd hate for it to end because we begin to divide over tertiary issues. There are times to take a stand whenever the truth is being attacked. And there are also times where lovingly and graciously we are generous to each other, open-handed to each other, as we seek to follow and walk in the Spirit's leadership by the Word of God together. So if you've gossiped, repent. If you are hurting because you've been gossiped against, receive prayer. Our prayer team's here. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. You move as the Lord leads. In Jesus' name, amen.